Um, if I was to ask, I reckon, if I went out on the street or if I was to ask everyone here, what is love? I'm sure there would be like a whole host of answers. Um, most of them would be, be really cool, would be great. And uh, so I thought I'd do that yesterday, but on Google, because I didn't leave my house. Um, and uh, you type in what is love, and the first thing that obviously comes up is Hadaway, baby don't hurt me, baby don't hurt me no more. And I thought, it's oh, not very helpful. That's not, that's not what I was going for here. But then after that, you're hit with all kinds of like things about love. Is it a feeling? Is it your family? Is it your stuff? Is it your time? You know, love is the time that you have together and to do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, Maybe it's hard to kind of pin down, actually, and say what is love. But we've talked about this morning, the love of God. We've talked about how God has great love for Jethro. And we've made commitments to one another to love one another. So it's kind of asking, well, what is it? What does that mean? And if, uh, if I was picking a word, um, it wouldn't be had a way, baby, don't hurt me, as what love is. I would pick the word sacrifice. And every time I've kind of done a wedding, I've always talked about how you're going to need to love one another sacrificially. That's what love is, is to put the interests of the other person first. If you start putting your own interests first, you're going to struggle. But if you put the interests of the other person first, then that's love. The same, I think, can be true of parenting. Now, I'm at the stage now where my daughter is six and I have basically become a glorified taxi. And I'm pretty sure that this is going to continue. Well, I don't know if it'll ever stop, quite frankly. I'm looking at parents that have you know, got adult children, and I think they're still ferrying around. Uh, the difficulty I'm going to have is, what do you do when you have two or even three of them, and they need to be in different places at the same time? I haven't quite got my head around that. But for me, that's love. Giving up my time and my petrol and driving them around, taxiing them around to different places. Some other forms of sacrifice and love when it comes to kids are attending children's parties. Oh, oh, I hate it. I know I'm coming across as really miserable, but oh, I'm so blessed that Grace goes most of the time. Because actually the competitive spirit within me just wants to get involved and just wants to be on the bouncy castle and just wants to be joining in. And musical bumps, I'll win. Musical chairs, get out my way. It's just not fun for the children if I'm there. But for me, that's kind of an expression of love. It's sacrifice. Other of you might say, follow your cash. You want to know what you love? Follow what you spend your money on. You know, if you're spending lots of money on X, Y, and Z, then stands to reason that it might be something that you love. But I was thinking about a little bit, things that we love. What do you miss when it's gone? When you're thinking about what you love, if it went missing you might miss it. So for example, whenever I leave the house, I do the kind of three pocket check for my wallet, my keys, and my phone. If I've got all of those three things, happy days. If one of them is missing, disaster. I lost my wallet at Alpha about a month ago, and I was like panicking like a headless chicken, like somewhere between the car and the pub, my wallet has gone missing, and I don't know where it is. And I was panicking because I love my wallet. It's full of receipts. <laughs> but those receipts are special to me. They tell me all the things that I've already bought. But actually, seriously, there are things that we love, not just, and things that we lose, whether it's our wedding ring sometimes. You know, you hear stories, oh, I lost my ring at the beach and I don't know where it is and I need to find it, or I've lost my cat, or even children that run away and go missing. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, that horrible moment when you're in the supermarket. And the child that was by your side is nowhere to be seen. 
Where, where have they gone? And that moment where you're just like, oh. And actually, uh, I reckon Elijah, Elijah is what, three now? So he must have been two or one and a half. And uh, I was in the garage. And uh, as many of you will know, I am really good at DIY and masculine things. So I was in the garage being a man, um, hiding away, probably not doing anything of note or worth. And um, I was doing all that. And I thought Elijah was in the house. And Grace was in the house doing her stuff. And, Eli- and Grace thought Elijah was in the garage. And so um, I wandered in from the garage and I went, oh, where's Elijah? And she goes, oh, I thought he was with you. And I went, oh, I thought he was with you. Where is he? Because he's not here. And, you know, you do the whole, you search the house. And our house, if you've been to our house, is conveniently all on one floor. And so we didn't have to search very hard to find he wasn't in the house. And we had no, he wasn't in the garage either. And then there's that moment of pure panic as to where is my one and a half or two, I'm going to think I'm an irresponsible parent here. And this is going live on the internet too, but he had just disappeared. So we ran outside and there he is. I would say, what, 40, 50 meters away? Maybe not as far as that. That seems like a long way. But far enough away that I ran and ran as fast as I've ever run before and screamed as loud as I've ever done before because he was walking right towards the main road all by himself. And you think, oh, when you lose something and you find it, you're full of joy. In that moment, when I grabbed him and I took him in my arms, it was just this sense of pure joy. What was lost had been found. And for him, I think he was probably a bit like none the wiser at all. He was probably loving it. Whether he was following a butterfly or something, I have no idea. But he was happy to see his daddy for the first and last time. He had been happy to see me. And when we're, when we're lost and we're found, or when we find something that's lost, the natural reaction is for us to be full of joy. And you read this story in the Bible. Jesus tells this story about exactly that. That sometimes we're just wandering through life. Sometimes we can be drifting. Sometimes we don't even realize we're lost and we are. Or sometimes we know we're lost. We know we're in a bit of a hole. And so Jesus tells this story in Luke 15. He says this, The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. So they were drawing near to Jesus. So the way that this is phrased is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are kind of painting it as a bad picture. Think of it like this. The bad guys and the really bad guys are hanging out with Jesus. In the eyes of the religious, at least. The the reality is they're just like you and me. We're hanging out with Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled and they said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus told them a story. He told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So Jesus is having food with tax collectors. Tax collectors wouldn't be popular because they'd be Jewish people who are ripping off their own people to pay taxes to the Romans. So Again, not going to be popular people. And then they just say, uh, skinners? Sinners. So just kind of a group amount for just people that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with. 
And they're the bad guys in their eyes. But let me say this, right? When it comes to Jesus and he's eating with them. If Jesus didn't eat with sinners, Jesus would have eaten every single meal alone. Every single meal alone. The meals were the Pharisees. He might, if, he, if he didn't eat with sinners, he'd have eaten every single meal alone. But you know what Jesus does? He eats with people because he wants to be our friend. He wants to know us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. And you eat with people. That, that happens, don't you? you? Who do you invite over for food? Your friends. People that you enjoy the company of. People you want to spend time with. And here, there's a bunch of people that the Bible describes as sinners. I don't want you to get caught up on that word. I know it's an old word that maybe we don't hear all that often. I want you to think of it like this. People that have just turned their back on God. People that are going their own way. People that are just doing their own thing. So there's a bunch of people that are just doing their own thing, living life as they want to live it, with no reference to God. In fact, they tell God to stick it, to shove it. I don't want, any, I don't want anything to do with him. And yet Jesus is there eating with them. Jesus is there spending his time with those people. And it's in that context that he tells this story. And he says, look, there's a man and he's got 100 sheep. And in, in the day back then, the sheep represented what would be like a small business. Uh, a little bit like, I suppose today, if you were a car salesman and you had 100 cars and one of those cars went missing, you would probably go and find that car because it was materially important to you and it was of financial value. The sheep would be the shepherd's kind of livelihood. So one sheep missing is important. It's not as if, oh, I've got 99, it doesn't matter. No, it's something that's lost that is valuable. And Jesus says, there's a man, he's got 100 sheep. So what he does is he gets someone to watch the 99 and he will go off in pursuit of this one sheep. And he will go through rivers, he will climb mountains, he will go wherever he needs to go in order to find this lost sheep. And when he finds the lost sheep, he's going to put him on his shoulders, he's going to bring the lost sheep home and they're going to throw a massive party. That's the story. That's what Jesus says here. And uh, it's a story of how God works. It's a story of who God is. It's a story of how God loves you and brings you back into his family. In the story, God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying. And the metaphor is God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And I was thinking a little bit about sheep. And I might have said this before, but I don't think sheep are very cool. Okay, I went to a farm uh, I know, a controversial statement that sheep aren't cool. Uh, I went to a farm last week, yeah, last week, and it was all so that we could feed sheep with a bottle of milk. And it was great. And my daughter absolutely loved the sheep, and they're so fluffy and so cute, and the little lamb, and you want to run after it and pat it and have a great time. She loved it. And I'm there like, oh, it's just a sheep. Look at it. What does it do? It doesn't really do anything. It just kind of stands there and makes noises. We're the sheep. And if you've ever spent any time with sheep, you know, if you were thinking, oh, if I could be any animal, you ever done that when you were a kid, you know, and you used to draw like, this is the ultimate animal, and you have like the head of the rhino and something else, the body of a crocodile or something. And uh, you'd be like, oh, I want to be this animal, or it'd be great to be this animal, and you throw, oh, I love the eagle because it flies and it soars. No one ever says, I want to be a sheep. No one ever's like, oh, I want to be a sheep. Sheep are amazing. They're just so fluffy. They're just so beautiful. Nobody ever does that. In fact, sheep are so pathetic, we use them as a method to try and get our children to fall asleep. That's how boring they are. One sheep, two sheep, three sheep. That's just like, oh, they're just nothing animals. And actually, they get dirty, they get messy, and they wander about. 
They wander in front of traffic, don't they? They don't see that a car's coming and wait for the green man. They just walk straight in front of you. They have no awareness whatsoever of where they're going. And you know what else they can't do? They can't retrace their steps. Their steps. They're not like Hansel and Gretel of the sheep world. They don't leave crumbs so that they can find their way home. They just get lost. They just wander about aimlessly getting lost. Isaiah 53 says this. We are like sheep. We've all gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. We tend to stray, don't we, as human beings? We tend to just do our own thing. Some of us kind of wander through life. Some of us know we can be lost. Some of us feel so lost in terms of a relationship with God, we think it's too far to come back. We think we've gone so far that God wouldn't love me. God wouldn't have me back. You know, I've gone over mountains. I've gone through rivers. I'm so far away. He's not going to come and rescue me. Some of you this morning might even feel like that. You know, we follow after something tempting that promises to deliver us life and give us hope and give us fulfillment and we go after it and then it leaves us high and dry, leaves us scuppered and before we know it, we look up and we go, I've no idea how I got here. Leaves us hurting, leaves us broken. And some of you might be thinking, that's not me. I'm tough, lad. What are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm not like that description of a sheep. What the Bible says with sheep, and I'm going to go with what the Bible has to say. So at the very least, all you are is a tough sheep. You're still a sheep. I don't think it's something to write home about. I don't think it's something to brag about. But the thing is that in that in Jesus' day, a sheep by itself, a sheep just lost, is in critical danger. It's far from his shepherd, far from the one who loves him. I don't know if you've ever just wandered off or you've Uh, whether it was as a child or as an adult, you've been in a situation where you just feel lost. Has anyone ever been in that kind of moment? You don't know which way to go. I can remember, I don't know how long ago it was now, I think three or four years ago, being in Kenya. And I'd just done some ministry, done some football with some Kenyan lads in the middle of the kind of, middle of nowhere, not in a city, just in the middle of nowhere. We'd done some football ministry. And uh, then we went back to this little village. And my ride said, don't worry, I'll only be gone an hour I'll be back to pick you up before it gets dark. Because for me to be out at night, at dark, by myself, not a good plan out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, Not safe for me to be in that environment. So he goes, I'll be back in an hour, don't worry. I'm just going to Kissimmee, it'll be fine. What I didn't realize at the time was uh, Kissimmee was two hours drive away and he was setting off an hour before he needed to pick me up again. So by the time he got there and by the time he got back, it would have been like four hours. And that's with him doing nothing in Kissimmee. I was like, cheers, mate. Only found this out later, of course. And so I'm left in the middle of nowhere with a guy called Godfrey, who, or was it Jeffrey? Either way, he had a cool name. And uh, he's that memorable. And uh, just in the middle of nowhere. And I remember feeling utterly lost. Don't know where I am. Don't know where to go. Don't know what I need to do here. It's not safe for me to be here, but where am I supposed to go? I need to get back to my hotel. It's already dark. And I remember walking and walking and walking with just me and this guy. And I think there was a girl called Esther as well. And uh, walking along main roads uh, and thinking, actually, everyone here is looking at me like I'm, I'm ripe to be mugged here. I'm ripe to be done in. That was the reality of the situation. And it really helped when the people that were with me were like, you know, just keep your head down. Just keep looking at the ground. No one will know it's you. And I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. That's filling me with huge confidence. And we came to this little village and there was like a, a taxi. Well, it wasn't a taxi rank. It was just people's cars were there. And you know when, like, there's a, this hasn't happened to me before, 
But you know when the press gather around some sensational story and there's a bit of argy-bargy and they're like all trying to take a photo and everyone gathers around? That happened to me. It was like the whole village were there like, get in my car, get in my car. No, you get in my car. Everyone get in my car. And I'm like, I don't want to get in anyone's car. Just leave me alone. But you're like pressed on every single side. And eventually I just picked a car and thought, this is fine. I said, I'm getting in this car in the condition that you take me to this place. And my friends come with me because I'm not traveling alone. So they were like, yeah, yeah, fine, sir. Fine, sir. No problem. No problem. I get in. And then four or five guys who I don't know pile into the back. And I'm thinking, this ain't good. What, What are they coming with me for? They don't need to come to my hotel. I've not invited them. And uh, we set off, and, I, uh, and it's on the main road here, so I know the way to my hotel now, so I'm thinking, all right, this is good. Except we turn off and go the wrong way. And I'm thinking, this ain't good. Where are we going? And then, this is, this is where it's like, I, I didn't tell Grace this story for like a year after I got home. We pulled up next to a ditch. I'm not even kidding. And I was like, this is the end. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's a bunch of five blokes in the back. I've got all my money on me, camera, I've got all my stuff on me, and there's a ditch. This ain't ending well for me. And I remember sitting there in the front just going, please, Lord, please, Lord, not now, not now. And then they all got out and wandered off. And then he turned around and took me to the hotel. But I can remember that feeling. I can remember that feeling, because obviously I'm here right now, so I didn't end up in a ditch. That feeling of utter helplessness, that feeling of being so lost, I can't see a way out. And I'm so reliant on somebody else to rescue me from that. Left to my own devices, it would have just got worse. I'd have just been more lost than I was before. I wouldn't have got home myself. And that's what God says is the story of us as humanity. And then enters Jesus. That's why we've sung about him so much. That's why he comes. Yes, he's a great miracle worker. Yes, he's a great moral teacher. Yes, he says and does amazing things, but he comes as a rescuer. He comes to take us back home because we're lost like sheep that have all gone astray and we don't know the way home. God gave everything so that we could have everything. That's what happens. He gives his only son so that we could have everything, so that as dirty, as messed up, as broken, as tough as we think we are, God comes so that we can have a new life. And he doesn't come as the king, all kind of robed and royal in mansions in Jerusalem. He's described as the good shepherd. And shepherds back then were humble people that lived out in the country, that probably smelled a bit, that people didn't hang out with because all they did was hang out with a sheep. That's what it was. And yet Jesus is described as the good shepherd, the one who comes to rescue us, his sheep. And the story says, doesn't it, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. That's God's way of saying, and Jesus comes and he'll scour mountains and he'll go through rivers and he'll do whatever he needs to do to come and get you. Whether you think you're lost or you're not, he comes for you. And a sheep would have been what, 100 pound maybe, I don't know, give or take, about half my body weight. That's not a small amount of weight. Flung onto the shepherd's shoulders. That's a bit of a tongue twister, if there ever was one. And then brought back home. And then there's a party. And you know what? The sheep represents us and our brokenness and our rejection of God carried on his shoulders. And you know what happens in Jesus' ministry? He takes a cross, maybe 100 pounds, on his shoulders. And he carries it. And what does it represent? It represents us and our stuff and our sin and our shame. And he carries it for us. 
that we might, through faith, be set free and have a new life. You see, Luke, Luke later on says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he comes for. Those that know they're done, those that have wandered from truth, those that know God is real but have drifted from him, those that have never heard of him before but feel at the depths of their self. God says, I love you. God says, I come for you. That's what this story is about. And you might think this morning, you might be sat here and say, well, that's great for those that are lost, those that are hurting, but that's not me. I'm doing really well. I'm not broken. I don't need God. All I can say to you is this. You might not feel it externally, but deep down, deep down you were made for so much more. So much more than just going through the motions of this life. We are built and created to know God. And if we don't know him, something just isn't fulfilled deep down. I like to view it like this. Imagine you're looking yourself in the mirror and, you know, that mirror is clean. But what happens is that when we're lost, when we're broken, it gets shattered into a thousand pieces. And the image that you once looked at is broken, is distorted. It's not right. And what Jesus does, he says, no, I'm going to come and rescue you. I'm going to piece you back together. And starts putting the mirror back together so you can see who you were truly made to be. See who you were created to be. Someone who's in the image of God. Someone who's valuable. Someone who's special to God. And Jesus does that for us. There is a God in heaven who loves every single one of us. No matter what we've done, no matter what we will do, there is a God in heaven who loves us. And we know he loves us because he gave his son. Because Jesus came and he died a horrific death upon a cross. So that all our sin, all our rejection of God, all our hurt, all our shame will be taken from us and we're given a new life instead and we're given the hope of an eternal future. If we put our trust in Jesus today, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, the Bible says there's going to be a party in heaven. You know, I've always read this passage when it gets to verse 7 as there's going to be great joy and I've always just read that as the first time someone makes a commitment. I'm not sure that's right. I think there's massive joy every time one of us turns around and says, I want to worship you, God. I've gone wrong. I want to get right again. I think there's a party in heaven. I don't think God is up there going, curses upon you all. I'm disappointed in you. I'm angry. No. Instead, he wants to unleash joy. Some of us feel, I can't come back to God or I can't put my trust in God or I can't know God because he's angry with me. If he'd seen my life, he wouldn't want me. Well, you know what? God has seen your life. God knows your life. And he still wants you. He still loves you. He still sent his son for you. Because you're precious and valuable and of so much worth to him. And it says here, doesn't it? It talks about if we repent, if we turn around. And it's the beginning of the story of the prodigal son which follows on. That if in our own way we can walk, I loved it when Justin Larkham said this, it says, we can take a hundred steps away from God, we can be doing our own thing, we can be lost. But if we just turn around and take one, God's right there. That God comes for us in the person of Jesus, comes after us, wants to carry us and take us home because he loves us. He's not angry, he's not shaking his fist at you from a distance and hurling lightning down at you. Like the picture that sometimes we have of an angry God. But it's a God who loves us, a God who has great joy in something that was lost being found. 
God doesn't look angry or disappointed to me when I read this passage. He looks like a God of love, a God of joy, a God who wants you to be part of his family. God doesn't leave us in our ruin and in our disgrace and in our hurt. It's what religion does, actually. It's what a religious spirit does. It says, I see you all dirty. I see you all messed up. I see you all broken. Clean yourself up and then we'll be family. But God doesn't work like that. God says, I see your hurt. I see your brokenness. I see your dirt and your drifting and your wandering from me. And I love you. And I'm going to throw you on my shoulders. And then I'm going to clean you up when I bring you home. God goes out of his way for you. He goes above and beyond the expectations for you because he loves you. He's the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of fourth chances. The God who forgives us if we would turn around and put our trust in him and ask God for forgiveness. We have to do that. We can't just go, oh great, God's a God of love and everything's hunky-dory. No, we have to turn around. We have to say, I don't want to be lost anymore. I want to follow God's way. I want to walk on that path instead. John 10 tells us that God knows his flock by name, that God knows you better than you know yourself. And he's described in John 10 as well as the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. My kind of plea today is wherever you're at, whether uh, you're, uh, you feel like you're a little bit lost, you feel like you're a bit of a tough sheep and you're not lost at all, or you, you don't know what to think, is to say, don't just wander through life. Don't just go through the motions. But I want you to find hope and find meaning and find purpose. And you know what? There's so many people in this room since we started the church. There's so many people with so many stories that could tell you they were lost and then God found them. They turned around and they're different now than who they used to be. God set them free from all kinds of things. They're different people to who they used to be. My testimony is I'm not the same guy that I used to be. I'm a work in progress, but I'm not the same man that I used to be because God's changed me, because God's rescued me, because God's taken me and given me a second and a third and a fourth chance. You know, today we've celebrated dedication, we've celebrated family, and that guy, Jethro over there, little Jethro, he's so loved by God. He's so loved by God. And all of us are so loved by God that there is a good shepherd who lays down his life for you. That's how valuable you are. That's how much you mean to God. And that's what the story of Jesus is, that there is someone out there who will go above and beyond for you. No matter what you've done, will go above and beyond for you and wants to give you a second chance, wants to give you a new day and a new opportunity. So what is love? Maybe it is sacrifice. Maybe that still is a good word. But you know what? I was just kind of praying and thinking this morning. I was thinking, yeah, love is sacrifice, love is sacrifice. But I've got a better word for what love is, and it's Jesus. If you want to ask the question, what is love? I think your answer is Jesus Christ. And you won't know or experience what love is until you experience a relationship with him.